I'm Susan Branscom, and this is Leading She. Just reaching out and talking to somebody and finding out that they've had a similar experience <laughs> is incredible, incredibly empowering. And we've tried to make those connections today for women in the organization so they can learn from others when they're having challenges. Kathy Fish was the first female to head the 7,000-employee research and development division of the large public company Procter & Gamble. Kathy is winding down a 41-year career and believes strongly that we can overcome our weaknesses by mastering skills through practice and coaching. She faced head-on the challenges of being an introvert by using a coach to help her improve her public speaking. Trained as an engineer, she knows herself well and sets firm boundaries around work, choosing to spend more time with her family. This is a great podcast with one of the top-ranking corporate women with a long career at one of the largest companies in the country. I want to take a minute and thank our sponsor, Aspire Healthy Energy Drinks. I was introduced to Aspire when I interviewed Kim File, a successful executive and part owner of Aspire Brands, Inc. Check out Leading She Episode 13. I love them. Aspire Healthy Energy Drinks are great tasting, lightly sparkling healthy energy with no calories, no sugar, and no carbs. Aspire has healthy caffeine from green tea for smooth, sustained energy with no jitters and B and C vitamins that give me focus. I maintain a healthy and very busy lifestyle and drink Aspire every day. I hope you will try Aspire drinks. You can find nine great sparkling Aspire flavors at AspireDrinks.com. Use the code 10ASPIRE10, the number 10, the word Aspire, and the number 10 at AspireDrinks.com to get the Leading She listener discount. Today, I'm delighted to have with me Kathy Fish, Chief Research and Development and Innovation Officer with Procter & Gamble a nearly $2 billion annual investment in R&D with P&G. Kathy was the first female in her role and has had a 40-year career with P&G, a Cincinnati-based company, Procter & Gamble, um, which has a very strong track record of uh, breakthrough innovation in fabric care, hair care, all kinds of P&G products. Uh, It's a 182-year-old company, many consumer products that... uh, Uh, are sold all over the world. Some of the brands include Tide Detergent, uh, Downy Fabric Softener, Charmin Toilet Paper, Crest Toothpaste is an old one. The company buys and sells companies all the time. And I have a couple of different numbers on employees, 6,000 to 8,000 employees you have. In R&D, we have in R&D. In R&D, we have just mm-hmm. almost 7,000. 7,000. Yeah. So welcome. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you. It's great to be yeah. here. Yeah, great to have you. Uh, you've been a strong female leader, a first woman to have the position you have and broken through some glass ceilings and had a, an impressive career. And why don't you highlight your long career with P&G for us? Okay, that's great. I graduated from Michigan State University in 1979 and uh, met P&G on campus and was really excited about what I heard and decided to come and work. Um, so I've been here for 41 years. I mean, the great thing about P&G is it is such a large company with so many different divisions and so many different opportunities. I obviously haven't been doing the same thing for 41 years. Right. So it's been quite a journey. Uh, I started in doing work um, in our Canada and Asia division, doing laundry for Japan, which was really, really interesting. Um, then I moved to our hair care organization back when it was very, very small. 
uh, and got to be on a journey growing to be with Pantene being the largest hair care brand in the world and Head & Shoulders being the largest shampoo in the world mm -hmm. today. So that was a 15-year journey in hair care. Okay. And then I moved in, back to our laundry business, fabric care business, um, for another three years, which was really good grounding. And then I went into our baby care business, which was really, really fun. And again, just a great journey on how innovation can really make a difference in consumers' lives and grow the business in really powerful ways. Mm -hmm. We went from being a $4 billion business to a $10 billion business over a over an eight-year period, which was really exciting. Yeah, I'll and, say. And then I went back to Fabric Care, um, got to work on Tide Pods. Hopefully many of you use those. Yes. Uh, and Downy Unstoppables. And, you know, had a good good run there before I was offered the role I have now as Chief Research Development and Innovation Officer. Mm -hmm. And I've been in that role for almost seven years. Yeah. You, you're an engineer by training, by education. Engineer, chemical engineer, yes. Okay, um, so is it? It's pretty common, isn't it, at PNG to move around from brand to brand? Yeah, we're a promote from within company, mm -hmm. so we're very invested in leadership development, and you learn by taking on new challenges. Mm -hmm. So the company will move you when it's going to help them or help us because you have the right skills, mm -hmm. and also will move you for your own personal development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, we're in 2020, and we have um, we are in a global global pandemic, uh, coronavirus, COVID nineteen. And I did a little research on you and other podcasts you did, and you talked about the material that's in uh, baby diapers. Yeah, is that which is used? I think you said in masks or some some. Uh, something that's used in this pandemic. Right. So right. did that present a shortage or what happened there? Well, I think this crisis in general has just been really disruptive to our business. So, I mean, I'll start by saying I felt so thankful to be working for P&G. You know, first of all, the company really started with taking care of our employees and making sure we were protected, but then recognizing that we made essential products for the world's consumers that were very important to cleaning health and hygiene. So we needed to continue to produce. And supply chains around the world were disrupted. You know, we, yes. we get things from all over the place. So one of the things I was really proud of with my organization is we've done a lot of work to really understand our products and to, to be able to use modeling and simulation so that as we got disrupted and the materials we normally used weren't available, we were able to find alternatives that maintain the performance in a very rapid time frame and to continue to supply and serve the consumers mm -hmm. that we serve. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was, uh, back in April, there was a huge run on toilet paper. Oh, my gosh. Right? It was amazing. <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? So. No, you know, it's um, the combination of those machines are so expensive, they have to run full out for for us to be able to make money. A, a paper machine costs $200 million. So wow. the reliability and just running at full speed ahead is important. So there's not a lot of extra capacity in the industry. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have people 
at home using the restroom more at home, right? right. So yes, that's right. So, so, yeah. So so the consumption was much higher as well, and very very hard to keep up with. I, you know, we're back to a pretty good place now, but still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. So it was like you know trying to keep it on the shelves. It was and, crazy. Uh, of course, yeah. Kroger's based here, and they have plenty of stores throughout the country. They had trouble keeping it on the shelves, and people were hoarding it. Some it of it was like, hoarding, you know, and so some worried. of it was higher. Yeah. Some of it was hoarding. Some of it was higher consumption. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting times we live in, and how it affected the company. Yeah, you are a uh, self-proclaimed uh, introvert. Um, talk about that as it related to your career. How did it help you? Hinder you? How do you view being being an introvert? You know, it's a really good question. A lot of times, I get asked the question about being a woman, and I, you know, I say that I actually had more challenges being an introvert. Mm. And, you know, my favorite book actually is Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking. And the reason I love that book so much is it really captures the strengths of introverts and then, you know, how we can all um, embrace celebrating the strengths of each individual. So for me, um, I was always good one-on-one. You know, I Mm -hmm. I could always lead a small team well Mm -hmm. um, and bring people together. But where I struggled was you know, getting up in front of a larger group. And as I took on more and more responsibility, that became more and more important. You can't, mm-hmm. if you're going to bring 7,000 people along with the direction we want to go, you have to be out front really communicating what's important and why it's important and, you know, showing them uh, how it can be done. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I will tell you, I didn't actually want this job because I knew that that would be an important part of the role at one point. But then as I got more experienced and I saw some of the challenges the company had and I thought I could help, um, I decided that I just needed to develop skills that would help me have stronger leadership presence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, interestingly from that, I learned that it's just a skill like any other skill. And, you know, I got a coach. I I learned some tips. I started practicing. I learned how you really communicate effectively, and I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm not the best, but I'm pretty good at it today and very comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the lesson for me is don't assume that just because it's not a skill today that you can't develop the skill. If it's mm-hmm. important to you and important to something you want to do, take it on, mm-hmm. work on it, and, you know, practice makes perfect. Right. Yeah. The interesting leadership presence you talk about and that... You saw that as, as something, and you called it to me torture to be, you know get up on stage seven thousand people, but you saw it as something you needed to do, and you needed to improve your skills there. And I saw some videos online. I think you were at a a conference or uh, I don't know a trade show or something, and you were very comfortable, very eloquent, and and so you're saying that you developed that skill with the uh, help of a coach. Yeah, the coach, you know, simple things like uh, the you know really be clear on the two or three things you want the audience to take away mm-hmm. because that's about all they can take away, and then think about the stories that you're going to tell that bring it to life because stories are so much more effective than mm-hmm. facts and data. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, practice. I I script things out. Yeah, I do too. But then I, I, I use that as a guide. I don't try to read it or memorize it. Um, 
but now I'm prepared, and so then I can relax yes. and just talk. And it really does work quite mm-hmm. well. I do, I do it, too. And yeah. I don't want to sound rehearsed, or I don't want to sound like I've hyper-prepared for something and right. have it sound, just like this podcast. I prepare for it, but I don't want it to sound like we're, we know what we're going to say or anything like that. You know, it's, it's important to the listener, and it's important to your audience that you speak kind of off the cuff extemporaneously, yeah. but you you know what you're going to say. Yeah, so you don't ramble or wander yes. or lose the point, right? right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the book you talk about, the author is Susan Cain. Yes. C A I N. Yeah. It says quiet. The power of introverts in a world that won't stop talking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had the great fortune to meet her and she's an amazing individual. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the points in the book is if you're really passionate about something, you can yeah. show up as an extrovert because it means that much to you to bring other people along. Mm-hmm. And she gave several good examples of that. And, you know, I kind of feel like that's how I am in this job and why you can watch a video and say, I look comfortable. It's just really important um, to bring other people mm-hmm. along on what mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. I My husband is an engineer, and he would call himself an introvert. I would call him an introvert. And I told him about this book this morning. So It's a great uh, book. I may get that for him. There's to a reinforce. chapter on my marriage in that book. So. Is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, an extrovert and an introvert together have, you know, have to learn each other, right? Yes, I know. Your yes. husband's an extrovert, yes, I assume. very yeah, much I'm, so. I'm more the extrovert and yeah. my husband's the introvert, but it works, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's really great. Um, tell me about your family, where you were born, uh, where you know your parents, your siblings. I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. I have um, three brothers, so I'm the third uh, okay. of four. Um, my dad, uh, my parents moved from Texas to South Bend, Indiana, when I was five. So okay. I really view myself as being from there. Um, I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. Yes, I read that. Um, That's where my daughter lives right now in Mishawaka, near South yeah, Bend. Big yeah. Notre Dame territory up there. Big Notre Dame fan. <laughs> yeah. um, I was a, a big tomboy. I grew up swimming. Okay. I love sports in general. Um, and, you know, both my parents have passed away now. Mm. And one of my brothers has as well. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that was that was the hardest. Yeah, how did he how did he die? He just got a very aggressive cancer and found mm-hmm. out. And ten days later, he had passed away. Wow. So yeah, I'm it sorry. was it was really sad. Very but, hard, right? Yeah. So, um, but but we're all just really different. I was the athlete in the family as the only girl. Mm-hmm. Um, my one brother is an amazing musician. The other two are just really nice guys. Um, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Um, and tell me about your husband and your children. Ah, yeah. My husband, um, Stephen, works for UBS in uh, wealth management. Okay. And we met coaching swimming at the Cincinnati Marlins quite a long time ago Okay. when we were young. Um, my children, uh, Brian is 34, uh, got married a year ago to... His wife, Kayanna, and they live in Cincinnati. He works for Amazon. Um, it's a big global operations hub mm-hmm. here. So in Northern Kentucky. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And my daughter, Margaret, is a Ph.D. chemical engineer. She's also married, and she's pregnant. She's going to make me a grandma, which is Fantastic. awesome as well. Yeah, Fantastic. very excited about that. What does she do? 
March 7th. March 7th. And we just found out it's a boy. Okay. Fantastic. I have two grandsons. You're going to love this. It's exciting. It is very exciting. So, yeah. And I've been in Cincinnati my whole career, which is a little bit unusual for P&G. Yes, um, it is. But I... I had to do that for my family and my husband's business. It's just what worked for us, and mm-hmm. it's ended up working for me as well. Great. We talked about a difficult internship you had, and I don't know if this was in college or when you got out of college, but talk about that internship, uh, what made you decide that that company wasn't going to work for you, uh, why it was tough, and what did you learn from it? So I, um, it was after my junior year in college, okay. and I went to a chemical company, and um, another intern and I were the first uh, female professionals, and they were just not really ready for us, I guess I would say. <laughs> so, Crashed their party walking in as women. It gave right? me a quick awakening <laughs> on sexual harassment. Um, yeah. Oh, I... Um, I if you went into the operating rooms in the in the units, they had Playboy centerfolds all over the wall, <laughs> and they were humiliated. Then when we when it's I like, came wait a in, Take those down here they so come. So <laughs> then they would say, you know, come on, honey, I'll hold your hand and show you uh, what you need to know. Yeah. And Man's they blame. called me Goldilocks and the Amazon woman and. Um, I could tell you a lot of other stories that I just don't think are appropriate for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but it did teach me, um, you know, I did. I probably didn't want to do that job anyway. Yeah. Um, the work probably wasn't for me either, but the environment definitely wasn't for me. Yeah. So it taught me what I didn't want to do, which is a really great lesson. You know, I. It's you don't always find the perfect thing the very first time That's you go right. into a job, right? right? So great lesson. And then I was lucky enough to meet Procter and Gamble on campus, and um, you know, move more to the consumer side where we got to mm-hmm. really try to make a difference in people's lives. We got to see our products on the shelves, you know, selling yeah. and making a difference, um, and just a really great environment as well. You know, we've been on a long journey at P and G since I joined. You know, we weren't as diverse as we are today. Yes, right. Right? But but it's still been a great environment, really, from mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah, I want to come back to that diversity within P&G and talk about that a little bit. But getting back to the, to the internship, it was you and another woman that came in, interns, female interns. And um, it sounds like it was a bit of a bro culture, what we call a bro culture oh, in here. Oh, big time. It yeah. was, yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's sort of like they've got their little guy thing going on and here you guys are yes and i think there's some real hostility in in some of those things it's like uh you know no girls allowed kind of environment where you come in and it's like we you know this is our this is our domain right yeah i think it's when you go from zero to some it's a it has to be a pretty big change right Mm -hmm. and so you know, it's probably uncomfortable for them as well. You know, yeah. some of it is like loss for them, like they're having to right, right, introduce women into yeah. their and yeah. watch their language and take down the posters. Yeah. It just and, changes yeah. the environment, right. maybe in a way that they weren't really looking for or ready mm-hmm. for. So. Right, and it, that was the eighties, which yeah, you know, actually I the seventies. So. Was it the seventies? So it was okay. the summer of seventy-eight. Yeah. yeah, that would be seventy-eight. Yeah, so a long say. time ago. So you know, things have changed a lot, a lot. but but yeah. there are still you know certain industries where it's like that. You know, yeah. fortunate 
we even see it with NPNG and certain places in PNG mm-hmm. that that have less diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to get to the diversity part, there was a time, and I don't remember if this was in the '90s or when it was. And maybe you know this because you were with PNG at the time, and that is that your customers are largely women with a lot of your products. Yeah. Uh, but the company makeup, the the a lot of the management, the board was very was male. all men. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there was criticism about the company. It's a public company. So there was you yeah, know, sure. vocal sure. uh customers about this, like, hey, you're selling to all women, but you guys are are men, you know, so you need some more diversity. Yeah. Uh, what happened then? Well, you know, I actually don't remember that clearly, but I will say, if you go back to my journey when I started, the world was just really different. Like mm-hmm. if if we if we'd created a product um, and we took it to a sales meeting, women weren't allowed in sales meetings at that point in time. So you had really? to sit in the hall, go present, and then and then. What year was that? Oh, that was late seventies, early eighties. Okay. Yeah. And so, why weren't women allowed? Because it was, sales was all male. I mean, okay. it was just it was just the culture then. The culture, okay. Yeah. So so things have changed a lot, and certainly the leadership of the company really was all male. And I, you know, I would say starting in the, you know, I was in the hair care organization in the eighties, and we were very female actually. Hmm. But it there it was because we had a, a female role model who was amazing, and she. Um, mentored and sponsored young women. And so, you know, it just sort of started the cycle of women being more successful. But um, so I don't remember the specific comments that you said, but the company today is is very clear that we need to reflect the consumer that we represent. Mm-hmm. And that's male, female, that's global. You know, we have a very diverse global culture. And then within the U.S., you know, same thing with African-Americans and mm-hmm. Hispanics yes. and Asian Pacific Americans. Like, we want to reflect the consumer that we serve. Mm-hmm. So, talk talk about the diversity within P&G and, and what the focus is there, especially in the light of the environment we're in in 2020. Yeah, so we're devoted to representing the consumer who we serve, yet, and we know that we can only serve them well if we um, have empathy for them, which means you really have to put yourself in their shoes. Yes. So, I mean, there is a lot going on today mm-hmm. in Indeed. every way. Indeed. And we know about the African-American side, and we're doing a lot around that with, you know, advertisements like the talk. I, I don't know if you've seen any of our ads where we bring to life the talk that African-American hmm. Um, moms and dads have to have with their kids. Um, I think I have. To make sure that they know to be extremely careful around the police. And mm. when you actually have conversations with people who have lived these experiences, mm-hmm. it gives you a whole nother view than just hearing about them on the news. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really important. But there's, you know, even with the virus, you know, the uh, Asian community is very upset about it being called the China virus. and. Yes. And whether it's called that or not, just the reaction of some individuals in the community in terms of being really unkind to them Mm -hmm. as a result of that, they feel really harassed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're just trying to make sure that we're having the right conversations with our employees, Mm -hmm. that we understand what they're going through at this point in time. And even just for young parents right now, being home with kids, trying to work, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of pressure. So it's a great exercise in empathy Mm -hmm. and you know, 
we serve our consumers better when we understand them well. And that's, you know, that's true with our employees as well. So mm-hmm. we're working really hard on it. I think we're doing pretty well. Um, the surveys we do with our employees says we're doing well. Okay, good. But, you know, we can always do better. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a really cool effort. One of the things that has always struck me about PNG, and I see you as being an engineer, kind of a science-type person, you, I think, are oriented toward data. Mm-hmm. And um, P&G has always been one of those companies that just really want, need to understand, want to understand the data around consumer needs and preferences. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's where you're oriented. And then, but then I always wonder about the creativity part, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um Certainly in terms of shopper habits, what people are buying, you know, how they're giving you ratings and reviews, there's a lot of data that's really important. But when you're working on creating the future, you need to do more than just look at data. Mm -hmm. You need to observe consumers as they're um, using products in the categories that we do. You need to really understand what job they're trying to get done and why they're using the products they are. And then sometimes as you do that, you'll see things that they may not even understand in terms of compensating behaviors they're making Mm because products aren't working quite as well as they need them Mm -hmm. to. And that can lead to really big breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Do you, have you had the experience where the data shows that the consumer feels this way, and so you react to that with a product, and then the behavior is totally different? We have had the experience where the data says things are better than they really are. And so, meaning the data will say something's good, but what we've really found is that our biggest successes are when consumers really love what we do when it's great. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that passion is hard to read just in the numbers. So I'll give you a great example. When we first um, did two-in-one shampoos um, a long time ago, but it was right when blow dryers were becoming big, people were, were therefore washing their hair more often, so conditioning your hair was just much more important. And people have been trying to do two-in-one shampoos, put put conditioning in for 40 years. It's actually really hard to uh, clean the hair, take things off while you're depositing conditioning back on. So that was a big invention. We had a brilliant scientist that figured out how to do it, and we started testing it with consumers. And it was really interesting because the data was sort of just okay. So we were talking to people who were using it and getting a lot of a, a, a excitement. But then when we test a, put a big qualification test in place, um, the data was just kind of mediocre. And so, you know, there was a lot of um, belief from the leaders in the organization at that time that this was great. So we took it to a test market in Seattle on PERT Plus at the time, and it more than doubled the business really, really quickly. Mm. And we took that and we doubled down on it and the leadership of the company decided to take it globally. And then some people in Japan created a a success model for Pantene, which we ended up Mm. expanding around the world as well. And Pantene became the big home run. So I guess my point there was it's important to look at data, but when it doesn't really match what you're hearing from people who are using the product, Mm -hmm. you really need to understand why. And in this particular case, it was because the people who loved it, loved it. And then it was, you know, too much conditioning for some other people. They didn't like yeah. it at all. So it kind of averaged out to mediocre data. But 
that group that loved it was big and important, and it drove Pantene to being the biggest hair care brand in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I remember a scene from the episodes, uh, the series Sex in the City, mm-hmm. where there was a criticism by Carrie Bradshaw, the lead character, against her boyfriend, Aiden Shaw. You know, and they were like, well, why, wh- what bothers you about him? Well, he uses a two-in-one shampoo conditioner <laughs> as a criticism, you know. So that's what makes me think of that is that it's like a it's a character flaw. That, you know, guys use a two-in-one shampoo conditioner. That's well, that's you know, okay, that was that was pert. And then what we found okay, on Pantene pert. was we actually paired it with a conditioner because it was a better shampoo too, mm. right? And so women would use it, and they would use conditioner on top of it, and they would be very happy as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a tough business world and a lot high pressure, and and, uh, we talk about balance, and uh, you talk about uh, being really honest with yourself about what's important. Uh, You turn things off when you go on vacation, which is somewhat rare today Mm -hmm. in our our stay-in-touch-all-the-time world, and uh, just talk about balance and and getting away on vacation. So I think... um... I'll just start with balance is, you know, different for every person, right? And I think one of the most important things is that you decide what's important to you and then what works for you. Mm -hmm. So I'm a person who's um, relatively low energy. Um, So if if I become a total workaholic... I, I'm not very good. I'm yeah. I'm tired. I don't coach well. I'm not creative. I'm not patient. Nothing really works for yeah. me, right? So I know myself that well. So, you know, um, my world's a little bit different today than it was when I was raising my kids. But when I was raising my kids, I would set really firm boundaries around when I left work mm-hmm. so that I could be home. Yeah. And present for them. And, you know, same thing on vacation. I would use that to really rejuvenate. Um, it's a little harder today. So, but I do try to set boundaries, like to set a, you know, make a reservation for a Pilates class that will help me get out of work mm-hmm. versus there's always more work to do, right? Yeah, there is. And there, there always is. And so that forces you to be more um, efficient on what are really the, we call them killer issues or the biggest assumptions that if you don't get this work done, um, the whole proposition's going to fail. Because especially for some of the things that we do, there's probably a hundred things that have to happen. Mm-hmm. But there's three or four that if you don't resolve the critical issues, mm-hmm. the rest of it doesn't matter. So right. focusing on those critical things mm-hmm. really, really helps you get there. Um, I could disconnect for vacation it's a, it's harder to do that today because it, I'm just in a position of more responsibility, and there are crises that come up sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But right. I but I don't do routine work when I'm on vacation. I you know I save it as a check to make sure there's not anything urgent. Mm-hmm. I handle the urgent things and I and I let the rest wait until I'm back. Right. When one of the one of the best things I heard about balance was it was a, from a European manager, and in Europe they tend to go away for three weeks. And they do disconnect. Yeah. And what yeah. he did was just, he said, I trust you to run your space. Uh, I want a one-page summary when I get back. You, you make the decisions. I want a summary when I get back. And it was super empowering to the organization, right? Mm-hmm. It did right. mean you 
great thing to do. Mm-hmm. He got his vacation. He got updated when he got back very efficiently versus having to plow through everything that happened while he was gone. Right. Right? Yeah. It was a so, really, really good approach. Yeah. he ha- You handled it while he was in, in you know, in his absence. Yeah. And uh, he didn't have to, like, catch up on everything and look over your shoulder. He trusted you to get it done. Yeah. While he was gone. Yeah. We're learning that now. You know, people just want to make a difference. And the more you can actually empower them right. to make decisions in their space and to run with it and only bring it to you if it's outside of you know certain guardrails mm-hmm. that you've set up. Yeah. It's really energizing. I've heard that about what what is really important to people for satisfaction in mm-hmm. jobs and one of them is mastery. Yeah. And just uh, you know trust me, acknowledge me to know what I'm doing. I've yeah. got this space yeah. and let them own it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And not try to look over their shoulder. Did you do this? Did you do this? Have a mastery over this. And yeah. even more important than money in some cases, you know? I think we're, we're, we're in a bit of a cultural transformation at P&G, um, trying to be much more agile. And the only way you can be agile is empowering people who are closest to the work to make the yeah. decisions. And it's really working well for us. And, mm-hmm. and we're seeing the... Um, just like you said, I mean, money's important, but we're seeing the satisfaction and work go way up as a result of that. Right. Yeah. Wow. Really great. There was a time when you were not happy at, at P&G in terms of where you were, uh, where your career was, and you didn't have you know job satisfaction at the time. Tell me, tell me about that. What happened? What was going on at the time and what you did? Yeah, so I had been in our hair care organization. I, I was describing Pantene before, and it was just such a fun place to work. And I had such a big role there. And for broadening, I went to another assignment. I won't. I won't tell you w- exactly which division it okay. was. That's okay. But no, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It really. doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I found that they were not used to bringing new people in. Um, they really felt like they were the best organization in P&G, mm-hmm. um, that they had a lot to offer everybody else, but nobody else had anything to offer them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a little bit of ego going on there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I felt, and I loved my actual job and my organization, but I felt very underutilized on the bigger strategic picture and on other things that I could have brought to the party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just was at a point in my career where it's, I I just, I well, let's just say I didn't feel valued. So I kind of went in a downward spiral for a while. Hmm. Um, and then I realized that, you know, this was my life and I sort, I needed to take charge of it, right? right? And so I decided to go have a conversation that was basically the company was offering packages. You know, I need to know what, how you're thinking about me yeah, and how important I am to this organization. In my previous hair care role, I felt very important, a key strategic player. Mm-hmm. I want to be that here. If I am, great. If I'm not, I would like to take a package and leave the company. And I don't want you to tell me what, what I want to hear. I really want you to tell me the truth. Right. Um, and that was just such an important conversation to have because yeah. by getting information, then I could make a decision on what was right for me. And 
you know, I have skills. I can leave the company and go do something sure. else. At that point, I would have probably taken a break to spend some time with my kids and then yeah. gone and done something else later. Mm -hmm. So it worked out really, really well. I ended up um, with an assignment change to another organization mm -hmm. that was that really uh, accelerated my growth. Mm -hmm. I think was a key part of why I ended up in the job I am today. Yeah. So one of the things we've learned at P&G as we've looked at women who have left the company is women often, when they're struggling for whatever reason, keep it to themselves. Yes. They think they're the only ones having the problem. And then as a result, you kind of do go in a downward spiral. We called it a black hole. And just reaching out and talking to somebody and finding out that they've had a similar experience yeah. is incredible, incredibly empowering. And we've tried to make those connections today for, mm -hmm. for women in the organization so they can learn from others when they're having challenges on what others have experienced and how they were able to resolve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there is a tendency for women to keep that to themselves. I've done that mm -hmm. where... I have to assume that uh, you weren't happy with, you know, how you were valued and, and how you fit into this particular uh, division. Um, and they, I have to assume that they were probably surprised when you came to them with this information. Uh, very surprised, yeah. which was a little shocking. Yeah, but. it's like, don't you know what's going on here? But it's a good lesson, and people can't read your mind. That's right. Unless you communicate, right? You and what do you something. have to lose? The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to tell you what you're feeling anyway, and you can leave. But more than likely, they're going to want to help you. Right? Yes, right. Almost always, they're going to want to help you, and you're going to have a conversation that's going to get you to a better place. Yeah, because you were saying, look, I'm not happy in this situation. Yeah. Um, if you're, I hear you're offering packages. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait a minute. We don't want to lose her. Right. You know? And right. You're like, let's, well, she's not happy there. That group isn't going to change. Let's move her over here. Yeah. So it was really, really paid off. It it was it was perfect. Yeah, it like it a really perfect was perfect conversation. It, it was like not going to them saying, "Look, these guys are awful to work with. I want to change." It was like, "Look, it's not working out for me here. I'm not happy." Yeah. So I'm it's very important to have those conversations in a professional way. It's, yes. It's not what somebody else is doing wrong. It's like why you're not growing or yes. why it's not working for you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that a bit. You talked about growth mindset. What does that mean to you within the company or as a career woman, a growth mindset? So growth mindset is, you know, um, one of those buzzwords today that I think is one of the most powerful ones I've ever <laughs> experienced. And, I, and I'm really a huge fan of growth mindset. What it really means is that we can all continue to build new skills if we embrace practice, right? And if you have the mindset that I'm not good at something and you go do it versus the mindset of I'm not good today, but I can learn, mm -hmm. it's amazing if you, yeah. it's amazing what can happen and what, you, what, uh, where you can go. And for me, uh, the biggest example of that is the leadership presence, stage presence yeah, for me personally that I talked about before. Yeah, you did it. But it's just in today's world, it's changing so fast with digital. I mean, it's just things are moving so quickly. If you don't have a growth mindset, you can't be successful. If you have the mindset that 
I have to be right. It's almost impossible to be right on everything. There's no way in my job I can know everything about everything. That's right. Right? Yeah. And But you can know enough about what you need to know about to, to be able to lead and make decisions. I can lead and make decisions, but that's different than pretending like I know everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And ego gets in the way sometimes of people like, we really know how this is supposed to go. And sometimes the size of an organization like a PNG can lead to, you know, like we know coffee or we know toilet paper yeah, yeah. or something. And yeah. the little guy over here is trying like hell to beat you. you yeah. Know? And they come up with great ideas. They do. They yeah. do. <laughs> and you can imitate them too. And <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, they really can't. I think some of it's ego and some of it's... Um, Lack of self-confidence. So some. So what you were just describing is it's either ego or just the paradigm of the business that you're in. Like we have a business model, we have a plan, and we run the plan, and somebody can come in from the side. But from an individual standpoint, sometimes it's just lack of self-confidence. I mean, mm. I think it takes a lot of confidence mm-hmm. to admit what you don't know, right? It, it is. It does. Um, but it reminds me of a uh, interview I heard recently with Tom Brady, mm. you know, previous uh, quarterback with Patriots. He's playing in Florida now. And just, you know, that winner mindset. Yes. You know, that he was not eating well. He was really not in the kind of shape he needed to be in as a quarterback. And he just took it on as a project, a self-project yeah. Yeah. To, to get in the best shape, to, to be able to be, you know, um, in the best shape he could be in mentally and physically and everything. And he sees talent within football, uh, but but uh, some of these guys w- had the natural talent that he didn't have, perhaps, but weren't willing to work at yeah. really making yeah. himself better. Yeah. Right? No, I think that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long career. You really need to have a growth mindset and just taking on new challenges, mm-hmm. learning new things. Yeah. Definitely. Otherwise, you'll get bored and you'll get stale. Yeah. Right, you yeah. lose creativity. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and I, I know when that happens, and I think you've you've had a long career. You know too yeah. when it's happened. Yeah, for sure. I've interviewed a lot of women in this podcast who are about the same stage as you are in your career. Uh, many seem like they're ready for retirement. They just cannot wait to to be retired. You're going to retire at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and uh, congratulations. Thank you on a long and beautifully successful career. Thank you. Um, I did a little research, uh, and I from one of the interviews you did, what do you want your legacy to be? And you said that I hope that I was available, thoughtful, kind, and made a difference for those I touched, which is really a wonderful thing. Thank you. So. Thank you. No, I mean, I, I think that's that's what I feel. Like, first of all, I am very excited to retire. I love my job. Um I, I just am ready not to be quite so structured in my life yes. and to get a chance to maybe explore some other possibilities, yeah. right? Yeah. So You're on the board of USA Swimming? I just got elected to the board of USA Swimming. Mm-hmm. I have a big swimming background, so it's something I'm really excited about being able yeah. to take my skills and passions, passions and go that direction. But I think the longer you're in a career, um, the more you really can like touch other people. I mean, it's part of what you're trying to do mm-hmm. with these podcasts, right? Yeah, it is. It's 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 how do you you know, just spend time with people understanding what their challenges are, give them some advice that might help, mm-hmm. you know, see where they can use support, yeah. right? 
Yeah, it is. I mean, the podcast, uh, you talking about being an introvert. Yeah. Or how you balance your life and set boundaries with your time. Hopefully there is a woman out there listening, perhaps a man, that can hear that and think, you know what? I need to do that. I did that internally, like when we, we have groups of people that we'll talk in front of. And then I have introverts reach out to me, and then I get to mentor them. And I get the I get, I get get to learn from them about what's happening more broadly in the organization. Mm-hmm. And they get to learn from me based mm-hmm. on my experience. Yeah. Uh, and I think I have been able to help that way. Yeah. So you've got some exciting things coming up. You have a grandchild coming I in do. March. I do. So that'll be exciting. I do. So, yeah, the unstructured time and being able to do other things, you know, at this point in our lives. And is, just see where it takes me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, thanks again for doing this today. And, uh, you know, congratulations on a great career. And I wish you the best in retirement. I'd love to stay in touch with you. That would be great, Susan. And thank you for inviting me to do this and actually for taking this on. I'm sure you're helping a lot of young women. I hope so. Yeah, yeah I hope yeah. so. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.